Hello, and welcome to We Heard Wonders, the music podcast that's living on a prayer. Should we be opening our lovely new music podcast with a Bon Jovi reference? That's just what you wrote in the script, Andrew, so that's just what I'm dealing with. Oh yeah, it's my fault. I'm Ian. I'm Andrew. And together on We Heard Wonders, we're going to be discussing new releases, dissecting classic albums, shedding light on underappreciated gems, and previewing upcoming projects. We should probably introduce ourselves. That's a great idea. Uh, I'm Ian, um, and I'm a guitarist in the Glasgow band The Deadline Shakes. You can find us on Twitter at Deadline Shakes. Um, Our notables are we recorded and released our album Zealots in 2015, um, which was received very well. Um, we are. We have another album called Documentaries ready to be released when this pandemic goes away, um, and I'll be attempting to bring a musician's insight to the the records that we're we're talking about on the podcast. What about you, Andrew? Yeah, I've been writing about music for various publications for many years now, and I've built up a, a loyal following on Instagram at kidagh86. And uh, yeah, that's really given me an opportunity to justify all the records that I. Um, Um, I'll be bringing very much just a music lover's perspective Great, we're two lifelong music enthusiasts And we met a couple of years ago at work But we don't don't want to talk about about that, it's boring Um, And we bonded over the fact we could be found circling the Glasgow Virgin Megastore racks And browsing the £5 fop wall when we were students Yeah, and we realised after talking that Within our prospective friends groups, we were the ones that were called upon whenever there was a name the song round at the pub quiz. And I have to tell you, this week at the pub quiz, I was called upon, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Did you did you nail it? No, I did not nail oh, it. Oh man, failed failed miserably. Um, so this week on our podcast, we're going to be talking about the classic album, Deserters Songs" by Mercury Rev. Um, and hopefully, you'll want to keep in touch with us, which you can do on Instagram at We Heard Wonders and on Twitter at. We Heard Wonders. And you'll also be able to find this on Spotify on and YouTube very shortly. We hope you enjoy. Okay, let's talk about Deserter songs. So, um, Andrew, this is one of your favourite albums, am I right? It is, yeah. This is, I mean, this is one of the first albums that I kind of thought of when we, we first started kind of talking about doing this section, you know, kind of formative albums. It's a massive album for me, and I was delighted that, that, that you kind of said the same as well when we started chatting. That was really cool. Yeah, well, you said something I'd never heard of before, which now, in retrospect, makes a huge amount of sense that this is like part of a sort of three part of yes, classic, the, trilogy. the trilogy of classic American albums and whilst I would say I, I really enjoyed Deserter Songs when I was younger when it came out um, the other two albums in the trilogy mm-hmm. uh, Granddaddy's The Software Slump and Flaming Lips The Soft Bulletin were more my thing right. for whatever reason mm-hmm. um, but that doesn't mean I didn't like it when it came out, in fact I, w- I was very very touched by it 
Do you have any idea where you heard it first, or or any of it first? Um, I vividly remember hearing the name for the first time. Um, I remember we used to uh, play football down um, down the pitches, and uh, in between kind of playing, we would just kind of chat about music. And some of my friends had kind of older brothers who mm-hmm. would who would be kind of uh, leading the way in terms of their kind of taste and things like that. So they were all into the kind of Brit pop bands, you know, uh, Oasis, Prodigy, some of the cooler stuff like pulp even this, this is hardcore and things like that yeah and i just wasn't there yet with that kind of <laughs> stuff at all you know i was still you know i was more interested in take that solo project at that point to be honest you know but you i shouldn't remember, say that you can't say that on a music i know yeah that's, that's my credentials going <laughs> immediately but um one of my friends they they mentioned uh, mercury rev and it was immediately kind of you know if you're playing top trumps in terms of uh, referencing bands yeah what is you know, that what is, what mercury, is that what's yeah. a mercury rev yeah, exactly and just yeah, American, cool name, and nobody's heard of them, so very cool, very intriguing. Um, so I remember the name, but it was only maybe a few years later that I actually investigated. I remember seeing uh, the video for Goddess in a Highway on one of those MTV2 shows, maybe 120 Minutes, is that what it was called? Well, I have no idea. We, didn't, we couldn't afford Sky. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I remember seeing the video for that and being quite captivated with that. Yeah. And then when I started buying NME as well, you would see the list of previous albums of the year. So this, so Deserter Song's 98, when, what yeah. are you talking about in terms of when you hear So heard? I'm talking about, ooh, probably about 2000 actually, 2000. Oh yeah. yeah. So, I, so I was kind of, I, I was on board by the time All His Dream came out, which was I think 2001. 2001, yeah. So, yeah, so I kind of investigated around 2000 and, and I immediately loved it. Yeah. And when you're talking about, uh, you know, the soft bullet and the granddaddy, I probably heard Deserter Songs first. Mm-hmm. So I... I, it holds a kind of special, special place for me. Special yeah. place, yeah. Oh, my, my, I think, first hearing of any of Deserter's songs was hearing Holes, mm-hmm. which was on uh, Best of 98 or Best of, maybe it was 99, uh, CD. You remember the CDs used to be stuck on the front of Q magazine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, Yes, it was on that, and I had no idea what it was. And there was loads of loads of things on there. And actually, um, I wish I still had that CD. I wish I could tell you what the track list was. Yeah. Really good. If, if maybe find it on Spotify or something, because there was loads of things on there that I ended up kind of like investigating down different avenues. Um, I saw the name Mercury mentioned in a review for Kid A, mm-hmm. um, the the Radiohead album, which is I think which also prompted me to listen to the Soft Bulletin, which I heard first. Um, but the, I can't tell you exactly when these things happened. They were it was round about ninety eight, ninety nine, yeah. two thousand, and I was, um, you know, I'd been a, I'd been a Brit pop fan, Brit pop fan when I was, you know, just 10, 11, 12. That graduated me into the Beatles, Dylan Stones, um, and then by the time I was coming, you know, sort of fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. I was really looking to widen the horizons. I was, really, you know, and I was playing music at the time already as well. So I was really thinking about like well, what else can we do? Right. What else can be done? And I think that's a, a, a nice, neat way to take us to Deserter Songs because to me, this is such a widescreen, like, epic style album. Yeah. It covers a lot of ground and um, on my re-listen there uh, this week as I was preparing to chat to you about this, um, I realised there was more variety on it than I had remembered. Yeah. Um, but the thing I think that everyone takes away from this album and correct me if I'm correct me if I'm wrong. It's just the the sort of lush scope, the the, the Americana. Yeah, um, it, it's fantastic from that point of view. Um, what do you like about it? Why was it so important to you? Yeah, I think it is just because it feels 
timeless. It doesn't feel like it was made in '98. It feels timeless and increasingly so as as you kind of move away from it. I think, and it just it's just got a real kind of special atmosphere to it. I think. Yeah. And it's got it's got that kind of sense of you know wide eyed wonder about it. It does. I, I was literally with Jonathan's eyes, <laughs> <laughs> creepy eyes. So I, I think we'd be we'd be doing it this uh, album with this service if we didn't just listen to a bit now. So we had we had a little bit there just before we started talking. Um, but let's listen to a little bit of um, why don't we go for the, the album opener holes let's yeah. listen to a bit of that just now So that's uh, Holes, that's our section from Holes, the, the Deserter Song's opening track. Um, and it, it really is a statement of intent for the album, I think. It does, yeah. You've got that kind of that um, instrumental opening that just kind of brings you into the world kind of thing yeah. and, and sets the scene. Um, and at the end of the, the, the song as well, it's, it's those lines, bands, those funny little plans that never work quite right. Well, And I, I think mean, that, that kind of sums up I think how they were feeling at that time uh, when they were recording this album because it, it did kind of feel like a kind of last chance saloon for them I think yeah definitely I mean I I, I mean I can personally relate to bands as being <laughs> plans that don't always work yeah. out I mean you take four or five people's lives and you're, you're trying to create art and when you're 20 and you're a student and you have no money and nothing else to do that's a very easy thing to do but the, these guys had been you know musicians for, for what like 10 years by the time the yeah. songs come out like professional musicians um, yeah, so it sounds like they had a difficult a difficult time in advance of Deserter Songs. That's what my reading tells me. Yeah, I mean, they came out of the, the kind of the experimental scene in uh, Buffalo in New York, and um, they'd originally they had an, originally they had another singer, David Baker. Don't know if you've read much about him, but nope. he seemed like quite a kind of volatile, mm-hmm. quite intense figure. Um, so if you listen to the first album that they did. Uh, Yourself Esteem. It's quite, have you heard it? It's quite, I have heard it, yeah. It's, it's, it's a brilliant album, I think, and even like in 1991, it would have sounded like nothing else, really, even yeah. like in the, in the year of Loveless, you know, it still sounds like its own thing, and it's got this kind of mixture of like experimental rock, noise rock, shoegaze, psychedelic rock. The only, the only reference point I can make that would even be similar to that would be the Flaming Lips. Mm-hmm. That was the kind of thing they were doing. I mean, even like, you know... Bands like R.E.M. at that point were R.E.M. in '91. Where are they? Were they Stadium by that they're, point? They're out of time. Yeah, so they're so they're away into stadiums at that point. So they're sort, of, they're, they're sort of smaller, you know, more intimate recording days were were, were long past. I'm, I'm trying to think of who else I could, l- you know, lump in with mm. that kind of uh, psychedelic, maybe spiritualized or somebody like that. Kind of early well, spiritualized, from, yeah, from the UK. Yeah. Um, one of the kind of the key events is uh, Jonathan uh, Donahue who is now the singer and a guitarist in the early days. Yep. One of the kind of key events is him. Um, he's like a promoter 
and he's putting on a gig by the Butthole Surfers. Yes. So again, they're like another band that you can maybe uh, compare. But who was the support act that night? Do you know? Um, I don't know. The Flaming Lips. Was it the Flaming Lips? It was, yeah. So he kind of befriends them, becomes their uh, guitar tech, Mm -hmm. and then in no time he's playing guitar, lead guitar with the Flaming Lips. So, so with the Flaming Lips as well, the producer of Deserter Songs has also produced basically every Flaming Lips album ever from Set of Soft Bulletin. I think there's only one that he's... That was Dave, David Fredman, isn't it? Yes. And does he... He plays guitar with uh, Flaming Lips or did? He, he plays bass. Plays bass, there we go. And that's a play, guitar. Play bass that is a guitar. guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, but I, I don't know if it was actually Jonathan that got, got him involved, but he certainly came on board around the same time that Jonathan did. So yep. they play... Jonathan's on two Flame Lips albums. And uh, Dave Fredman, as you said, has been producing pretty much everything since. Yeah. But that it's, seemed like quite a kind of key thing. They're kind of kindred spirits, the Flame Lips and Mercury Rev. And yeah. they have kind of followed quite similar trajectories as well. The track which I hear that on the most um, is maybe Goddess on a Highway. Towards the end of Goddess on a Highway, there's, a, there's some guitar playing, um, which is... Um, how would I best describe it? Textural, where, where it's not even distinctly a guitar. It's it's just um, it's in the outro. That's what I mean, and it's sort of just like almost like noise escaping from an amp, but it's done very artfully. Yes, um, and uh, it really enhances that particular song. Um, yeah, so it sounds like as well. They had, from what I was reading as well, you know, I was reading an interview with. Um, Jonathan Donahue about Deserter Songs. I think this was maybe for the, the band's 20th anniversary or, or something like that, or 25th anniversary or something. Um, and he was saying that basically they, they were breaking apart as people. They were bro- broken up inside, I think is the quote you actually mm. used. Um, and uh, you can tell, I think, that there's, sort of, there's a peace and calm coming to them in Deserter Songs. Mm. Um, but the bit that really... The it's bit that it's really, almost like a desolation, though. It's not, it's not a kind of peaceful calm. Yeah. I'd say, I'd say it's... Yeah, it's there's, there's, a, there's a kind of sadness to it as well. Yeah, because the song Goddess on a Highway, which to me is... I mean, I think there's, there's a couple of tracks on here which you could say are maybe the, the main track or the best mm. track. But to me, Goddess on a Highway, which was a big single, um, it was on the radio and, and you heard it lots of places... Um, uh, to me, summarizes the or epitomizes the album, um, and it does have that sort of strange lyric in there about um, you know we're, we're like two bugs on glass, and the rest of the the rest of the lyric is kind of um, oh, it's nothing like that, you know. It just seems so kind of like oh I don't know, kind of it's kind of gross in a way. The lyric, you know, right. smashing like two bugs on glass. And um, it just seemed, when I was looking at the lyrics today, I just thought that just stands out as such a strange thing. And that's kind of like, I guess I'm interpreting a little bit um, that instead of, you know, they're having a transcendent moment with the rest of the lyrics, but then this is a sort of kind of back to earth mm-hmm. type moment. So I wonder if, as you're saying, you know, maybe there's, there's a kind of desolation in here. Um, some of those lyrics kind of touch on that idea um, a little bit. Um, I think we should listen to a little bit of Goddess on a Highway. I think that would yeah, be a good absolutely. idea. Let's, let's it's always a good idea. It's always a good idea. And I think we should talk about that song a little bit because it's my favourite on this album. Okay. Um, that or Opus 40, which is also really good as well. Um, okay, so here we go. Well, I got us on a highway, I got us in a car. 
got us going faster than we've ever gone before. I got us on a highway, I got us in a car. Got us going faster than we've ever gone before. And I know. Yeah, that was Godless on the Highway. Yep. So it does. It is a fantastic track, isn't it? And it's got it's got that kind of late night feel to it. It talks about driving at night, and I I always, I always just kind of think of that when I when I hear it. It makes me think of like um, I always when I close my eyes and I'm listening to that song, I always feel like I'm in a big American car mm-hmm. driving through a yep. forest, and 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 the, the tempo of the track feels like you know the sort of like street signs going past and, and, and trees whizzing past and we're only lit by the car's headlights. The bass line on that track um, at the start and then as it gets going, 
I absolutely <laughs> love it. Mm-hmm. It's one of the great bass lines in, in, in modern American rock, I think. And it is so simple. If I had a guitar in my hands, I'd play it for you. It's just bum bum ba ba bum 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 ba ba bum 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 bum. It's nothing. There's nothing mm. to it. I mean, Andrew, you don't play guitar, do you? No. I could teach you to play that in two minutes. <laughs> it's so easy, right? Yeah. But it just it's the, the tempo and it's the 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 feel of that piece of playing, which I think you know, that's one one detail out of this song that I absolutely love. Um I'm in the weeds a little bit talking about bass bass uh, no, favourite bass parts here, but it's so cool. No, it's good. It's all good stuff. Um I think the on that little clip we heard there as well, you could hear the guitar I was talking about earlier on, so it's got a kind of um I I'm speculating there's a I don't know if you know there's a, a sort of guitar piece of guitar tech called an Ebo. Yes. Um where when you play it against the strings, it just creates um, a note that would basically last forever, for as long as you play it. And it can give the effect of being a bit like a violin. And on in the middle of God's Highway there, the guitar has like sort of chorus effect, um, some reverb, and and, um, and it's feeding back through the E... I think it's through an E. Right, okay. Um, and it creates that kind of spooky, sort of like, almost like a theremin mm-hmm. type sound. Um, there's theremins all over this album as well there's yeah. loads of tracks with theremin on them so it may well also be just an altered theremin sound but I think it's guitar yeah um, well if you if you go and see Mercury Earth live as well they've got a, have you seen this party trick which is that he he's he goes off stage for a bit and then he appears appears reappears as if he's uh, been to his garden shed and he brings out a saw <laughs> and he <laughs> starts playing saw. the saw with a, with a bow plays the saw with a bow I've yeah. seen people play the saw before that's quite a sort of um that is a very American instrument, isn't it? I don't know if they play that elsewhere, but I've seen that on the telly, right. basically. So I think there's a lot of that in this album uh, that kind of break, it, it makes me think of the Jack Nietzsche uh, soundtrack to One, uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah. It's, it's got that kind of feel to it, that kind of, kind of spooky uh, feel to it. And I think Jack, Jack Nietzsche was actually supposed to do the string arrangements for mm-hmm. All His Dream, but... He died, unfortunately. I wasn't able to. So that brings us to the point of collaboration, actually, because one of the cool things about Deserter songs, which I absolutely didn't know, um, and I'm surprised because being a, a like a Dylan nerd mm-hmm. a little bit, um, I know a little bit about the band. I wouldn't say I'm at, I wouldn't say I'm at the same level of knowledge about the band as I'm with Dylan, but I didn't realise the ba- like members of the band played on this yeah. at all. I know, and um, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it's this album is not. From 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 what I know of it, it's not the sort of pinnacle of two amazing bands, which they are. But it's, this is this wasn't the pinnacle when they came together to collaborate on the, on a masterpiece. It was two sets of guys kind of in a difficult place mm. and coming together and and producing something like like they hadn't before. Um, but tracks yeah. like Opus Forty, the chord progression in Opus Forty is quite band-like, bandy. Mm, I can see that. You know, the descending uh, chord progressions mm. that, you know, if you think of The Wake, which is obviously the most famous The Band song, um, it's got that descending chord progression. They did it a lot. Um, so did Dylan, actually, as well. And it's on it's on, it's on Opus 40 as well. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Do you, do you know more about that? Because I don't actually know a huge amount about it. Not to put you on the spot. Uh, I th- well, I think a lot of it came about because Mercury were in a difficult position uh, emotionally, uh, commercially, so they, they released an album, uh, See You on the Other Side, in 1995, which is actually a really good album, yeah. but it just flopped. It just 
belly flop completely just crashed um, so I, were, I was just not to interrupt but I, what I was reading today about that album and the I think it was in Pitchfork you know the online magazine and they described it, that album as having been eaten by Britpop basically just couldn't find a space yeah, anywhere that was, that was the thing like, and, and they were on a major label as well and the major label just said sorry we can't no we thanks can't, we can't do this anymore <laughs> kind of thing so yeah so the band had been dropped from their label I think they were struggling. I think uh, Grasshopper, who we haven't mentioned yet, he's the, the guitarist. And their best friends. Their the, best the, friends. The singer Jonathan, Jonathan Donahue. And yeah. Grasshopper. Uh, they, but they were in a really difficult position at that point. I think they were both having relationship problems, maybe like drug, drug and alcohol yep. problems as well. Um, so it was this kind of idea that, okay, if this next step doesn't work and we can't repair this relationship, then this band isn't going to work. So what they do is they, they, they retreat to the Cat Hill Mountains, yep. which is where the band are from as well. Um, so I think it is that kind of idea of you know retreating from everything the way Dylan did with the band, with the basement tapes and all yep. that kind of stuff. So maybe, maybe it was because of that feeling that, or maybe... Maybe they were next door to these. It was Levon Helm and uh, Garth Hudson. Yes. Um, so I don't know if they were just kind of hanging around or if they thought, okay, we're. You know. I think, no, I, I, I do ha- I have a fact. Okay, I know something. I know something. <laughs> Basically, um, Jonathan Donahue met. Um, no, I don't know which one it was. It was one of those two, one of the two band members. I think it was uh, Levon Helm. Where he got, at, at his barber shop. Oh, right, and he okay. bumped, they bumped into each other, and no, it wasn't. It was it was <laughs> Garth Hudson, and he said we would love uh, leaving him to come and play drums on parts of this record. Right, okay, yeah. um, and apparently came through uh, at the barbers, where lots of great ideas That's have happened through history. Isn't it? Isn't that so cool? That's so good. Um, yeah. So the track Opus Forty is based on, or it's about a real place in, right. in, in the in the Catskill Mountains. So. Um, that's that's the one that Helm's on, isn't it? Open yes, 40, yeah. that is the one he's on, and I think that that track as well. Um, I wouldn't say it, it's probably not as well known now um, as it was at the time, but it was also quite it, you know made its way into popular culture a bit as well. Um, yeah. so, talking about that kind of sorry, talking about that kind of eaten by Britpop thing. I mean, the sound of this album, as a, as I was, as I said before, it, it feels timeless to me because it's just not part of what what was happening in 1998 yeah so there is one track oh. that you know the track um let me just make sure i get its name right um the funny bird to me that that's the one where i was talking earlier on about the variety of songs on this album um that's the one to me which doesn't feel as much like deserter songs as something else now i don't know i, I don't know enough to know if that was recorded in a different session yeah. or at a different time um, and was added later it's a great track um, it, that one does sound very late nineties to me. The drums on that particular track. As soon as I heard it again today, I was like, "Wow, that sounds like um, Pulp." Um, mm-hmm. You know when Pulp did the track. This is music. Is that right? This is hardcore. This is hardcore. This is hardcore. It's got drums like this is hardcore or Help the Aged, mm-hmm. sort of slower paced but big, big sounding drums yeah, and quite quite dark yeah. as well. It's a, yeah, it is a dark song, and um, it's got the Flaming Lips influence that one as well. In fact, if anything. That song could be a Flaming Lips song. You could have yeah. just whipped that off uh, Deserter Songs and dropped it straight I think that's, into... that's the one that really harks back to the previous Mercury yep. sound, but it, it's just a little bit more uh, controlled, I think, and a bit more mature, maybe. Yeah. But it, but it's still it's still weird, like, and it and when it goes off it, and explodes, it really does. It does. Have an effect. It does go. Um, so the, the other track that I really like, um, which we should maybe just listen to a bit in a wee minute... Um, it's Hudson Line, and I like it um, 
because obviously this 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 album is kind of it's almost like a you know an ode to plate an ode to a place. It sounds like the Catskill Mountains. It sounds like Americana. But the Hudson line is you know it's you know affection you know an affectionate song about living in New York City. Um, that one's sung by Grasshopper, I believe, the guitarist. Um, and uh, yeah, Garth Hudson of the band plays the sax at the start of Hudson Line. Um, and I just, I, that song to me, as soon as I heard it today, first time I've heard that song in a decade. Um, and it's so evocative. It's such a great song. Should we listen to a bit of Hudson Line? Sure. Why not? Why not? Go for it. So that was the Hudson line. Um, so that's sung by Grasshopper rather than Jonathan Donahue. So it has a, a bit of a different texture. And you can hear from the lyrics, it's it's obviously kind of a very affectionate song about New York City. But it's also about being, I guess, down on your luck and being happy about it. Which is maybe, I don't know, the, the real message of this album. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and hoping for a, a brighter future. Yeah. What do you make of like the little interlude tracks that come in every so often? I remember really kind of not really getting on with those at the time but now I think they're quite integral to the mood and the atmosphere of the album yeah so what are they called they are called there's uh, I Collect Coins there's The Happy End and Pick Up If You're There as well yeah so these uh, tracks um, I think are kind of like a, like a bit of a palate cleanser um, when my band The Deadline Shakes we recorded our first album called Zealots and we have a couple of short tracks on there um, and yeah, the purpose is basically for for us anyway. And I'm, I'm I'm fairly sure it's the same for Mercury Rev, but um, the idea is that you you have a lot of information maybe in a in a big song, and there's a lot of ideas to take in, and you know that maybe the next track is also going to be you know big with lots of information, yeah. lots of parts, complex. So it's nice to put in something that's short and lovely and sweet. And doesn't really require the listener to do a huge amount, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's definitely true of um, I Collect Coins, which is a kind of like it's a fairly simple piano part, but it's got a kind of radio, like it's almost as if you're listening to it through an F- an yes. AM radio, yeah. and it's got uh, crackle added to it as well to sound you know kind of old essentially, um, sort of the same as painting like you know a piece of paper with a with a tea bag. It gives it ages it can right. uh, yeah. um, you know if you're making a treasure map when you're young. So, um, so yeah, I really like them, and I think they do they do serve a function in here. Um, but yeah, so I can understand why you wouldn't like it because you're if you're younger, you kind of think right, give me the next. Yes, you next want the big, the big epic, but I yeah. think they do. They add atmosphere and they bring a bit of kind of creepiness, a bit of kind of darkness as well. Is but the the drunk room one is that idea of a kind of you're inebriate in the corner that's yeah. kind of mumbling at you. Um, How is that negative? It, 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 that sounds positive to me. Well, <laughs> I, I, I love it now, but yeah, at the time, um, 
I wasn't so sure, but I think it adds to like the artwork and everything. Just the whole the whole package, it, it works and it, it does have a creepiness to the, the album. I think. Yeah, overall, well. definitely, it definitely does. Um, it's got this really kind of po- like pre rock and roll feel to it as well. Um, kind of talking about the influences, like uh, there's the track endlessly that kind of breaks into. I'm, I'm convinced it's Silent Night that it breaks. Yeah, it I wrote that down earlier. Did on. you say that as well? I yeah. don't know if they, I don't know if they had to pay the writer of Silent Night any royalties or anything. <laughs> you like can that, hum uh, "Sleep in Heavenly Peace." Yes, along exactly. With it. Yeah, uh, you've got there's the line, "How does that old song go?" Yeah. So it is like kind of, a, and there's reference to Cole Porter as well. Endlessly, which, endlessly could be in the Disney movie Cinderella. It could. You could drop it straight in, and it wouldn't sound out no. of place. And that's very strange for a rock and roll album, really, isn't it? Mm. For something that was, is, you know, a psychedelic, you know, out there band to do something like that. Yeah, very kind of uncool. And I, a lot of the lyrics were kind of inspired by a children's book that, that Jonathan had got as well. So they're, they're kind of pulling from unusual places, yeah. but it, it makes something that's really quite unique. I'd read him describing, and this makes a lot of sense, that, yeah, he, he took a lot of lyrics from, from a children's book. And I, I think he had a record of the book being read with orchestral music in the background. Yes. Um, I, I could be speaking out of turn here, but I think that's, I think that's right. Tale spinners for children. Apparently. Oh, you know, I knew you would know it. <laughs> I knew you would know what it was. I just, I just had the vague idea. I think he might have done this. No, uh, you're right. You had it spot on. There we go. Um, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? When you, when you listen to the album, uh, yeah. you can really tell. So maybe to just round off on Desertor songs, um, I think it's, I think it's, when you read about if, if people are googling Deserter songs they've never heard it before and they think well who, who is this band whatever uh, and we talked about it a little bit I think that it, it is tempting to start talking about you know uh, they were in a dark place and drug addiction difficult relationships and so on and I, I kind of don't even not that I don't care about that stuff but for, for listening to this album I don't think you need any of that context mm-hmm. I think this album ex- can exist you know on its own quite comfortably um, and it's some it's almost like um, and this is a, a weighty comparison but it's almost like pet sounds and that yeah there's loads of context you can read about it mm-hmm. and loads of interesting stuff you can read about it and it might well enhance your enjoyment of the record but if you just switch all that stuff off and you just you just listen to pet sounds or you just listen to deserter songs um, there's just so there's just so much great stuff on here yeah um, so I, yeah I absolutely love it and I was going to ask you as well you, you told me you've seen them live yeah, I mentioned it earlier on. What was that like? When was that, and what was it like? <sighs> I mean, this this we talked about this being a big album. Seeing them live was mm. an absolutely you know a, maybe life changing. Yeah, why, why not? Why not? Why not go big? But um, you know, up until that point, I probably only seen you know big pop groups and the SECC and mm-hmm. places like that. I've seen The Offspring, which I, uh, I don't know why I mentioned the <laughs> Less said about that the best. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> kind of dragged along to that. So, seeing Mercury Rev in the Barrowlands in 2001, right after um, All His Dream came out. Yeah. Um, which it was, All His Dream kind of took the Deserter song template and expanded it, I guess. They had kind of Disney-fied it a little bit. They had bit. cash. They did, absolutely. <laughs> they went for it. Um, you know, you, you had The Dark Is Rising, which I think was just soundtracking every single wildlife documentary yeah. advert and things Great for a while. Trailers. It is an amazing track. Yeah. But um, yeah, so, so like seeing them kind of, I think I remember them, they, I think they opened with Funny Bird and then they went into um, Dark Is Rising and you're just like, holy shit. It's, it's just <laughs> absolutely. Here we go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they had the, it was all kind of backlit 
and everything like yeah. that. And yet Jonathan's got these, you know, kind of flailing his arms around, and he's got those really intense eyes and yeah. really. In my head, he's got the longest fingers that I've ever seen. He's like, <laughs> Not like, like, like the child catcher or something <laughs> like that. But just like really captivating yeah. and, and otherworldly. Um, and just, yeah, I just absolutely loved Well, I haven't had the, I haven't had the pleasure. And obviously, I mean, I haven't been at a gig for like two years, same <laughs> as everyone else. But um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely someone I could I could see myself uh, enjoying a gig. Yeah. And I can, see why, I can see why something like this, which you've had a personal connection mm. to, to the records and... Um, then you go and see them live at Canyon. It was be. like a like realization of what a live gig could and should be. Like yeah. you know, it was just just amazing. When I was describing uh, to a, a mutual friend of ours earlier on today that we were going to be recording this podcast about Deserter songs, he'd never heard of it, and I just said, "If you listen to it, it's a life affirming record. Mm. It makes you feel glad to be alive, yeah. and it's full of complexity, and there are dark moments as well. But to me, um, it's it's just the sound of." of life and, and, and moving on and getting on with things I, I really like it yep and it's, it's just so great that it, it was almost kind of undeniable that you know Enemy had it as their album of the year and yeah. things like that and you came know, from like, nowhere came from nowhere but just yeah undeniable and just incredible yeah okay guys hope you enjoyed us chatting about uh, Deserter Songs um, which is a an influential album for both Andrew and I um, we'd really love it if um, if you're enjoying our podcast and you want to reach out to us on our Twitter at We Heard Wonders, um, and you can let us know things you'd like us to review: contemporary Scottish music, contemporary British or world music, um, or if there are classic albums you'd like us to to, to go on. I just want to ask us questions, and um, we'd love the feedback. Well, she tossed all night like a raging sea. Woke up and climbed from the suicide machine. With her Spanish candles and her Persian poems Stuck on the rocks inside Opus 40 stone And scratching her wrists in the pouring rain She collapses down upon the ocean floor Somewhere out there across the moonlit sands There's a light